This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Once again, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, as always, Griffin Youngs, and we have a jam-packed episode once again. The trades are coming in by the dozens. We have the entry draft in the books and plenty of avalanche news to touch on. Actual avalanche news, not just speculation for once. But before we get into any of that... First, as always, a word from our sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, DraftKings Sportsbook is not only my favorite sportsbook to use, but it is also America's top-rated sportsbook. And speaking of America, our top athletes are over in Tokyo competing for the gold. And DraftKings has a medal-worthy offer for all new players. And that is, if you place a pre-event wager of $1 to be eligible to cash $100 in free credits if America wins any medal this year. That's 100 to 1 odds on any American athlete to stand on the podium and receive gold, silver, or bronze this week. Yes, you are indeed hearing that correctly. For you to cash, all that has to happen is an American athlete needs to win one medal. For context, America is expected to bring home probably closer to 100 medals. This is essentially free money. This is as close to free money as basically you'll ever get. And it certainly helps that DraftKings Sportsbook is incredibly easy to navigate, has plenty of instructions for new bettors, and nearly limitless ways to get in on all of the action. So if you want to start your sports gambling off with essentially a guaranteed victory, DraftKings Sportsbook is the place for you with the right offer just for you. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free credits if America wins a medal. That's code THPN to turn $1 into $100 in free credits for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So how is everybody doing? We have had... An eventful couple of days, to say the least. The draft, I feel, kind of got completely overshadowed by all of the moves that happened. And for the Avalanche, uh, was the draft the, the third most important thing that's happening for them right now? Because they get Kale McCarr re-signed for six years. 
Landeskog negotiations, along with that we can lump in Grubauer negotiations, are coming down to the wire, and this this offseason has not disappointed me one bit. It has been every bit as incredible as I hoped it would be. And for the Avalanche, their first domino has fallen. We'll get to the draft in a second, but the big news is Kale McCarr. He is officially re-signed the first contract that they have, the first big contract, I should say, they've signed their first big piece of business since the Ryan Graves trade, and there is nothing to not like about this deal. Kale McCarr signs for six years at $9 million a year for his cap hit, making him the fifth highest paid defenseman in the league, and biggest surprise to me, not the highest paid player on the team. That will remain Miko Rantanen, at least until uh, Nathan McKinnon's contract is up, because then he will be the highest paid player on the team, without a doubt for sure. But Makar gets his money. He gets the just a, a solid middle ground. I thought he was going to get more. I also thought it was going to be the full eight years, but six years is about the minimum that I would consider a long-term deal. This buys one UFA year for Makar. It just walks him straight past all restricted free agency years. And when he is 28, he will be on the UFA market. And if all goes according to plan, he will make a lot more on his next contract. Six, I mean, six years. It's not eight, but in six years, a lot's going to change. I mean... You just you put into perspective six years. I mean, I'm 20 years old. Six years ago, I was 14. That seems like a lifetime ago. Six years from now, I'll be 26. That seems like a lifetime away. So from that perspective, this contract seems nice and long to me. And at $9 million, there is nothing not to love about that hit, especially when I, I was mentally prepared for nothing less than 9.5. There was a $9.5 million contract signed for one defenseman in the NHL, and their name was not Kale McCarr, their name is Seth Jones, and Seth Jones got eight years at 9.5 with the Chicago Blackhawks, who acquired him in a ridiculous trade, and not to get fully off topic from McCarr, but, uh, yeah, now you understand why I did not want to trade for Seth Jones with the price it took for Chicago to acquire him and the price it took to keep him, I will take my Kale McCarr contract for six years at $9 million for a much better player. I know it's not comparable, UFA years and RFA years, yada, yada, I know. But that contract makes Seth Jones the third highest paid defenseman in the league and Kale McCarr tied with P.K. Subban for fifth, if I am remembering that correctly. I have this in front of me. Yes, McCarr right now is, I mean, technically Seth Jones's contract doesn't kick in until next season because he has one year left on his current deal, but right now it looks like Eric Carlson, 11.5, Drew Doughty at 11, no other defenseman makes more than 10, Roman Yossi at 9.05, Makar and Subban tied at 9 million bucks. So Subban's contract expires after this season, and Seth Jones will jump right up into that third spot to take the role of third highest paid defenseman in the NHL. I mean, you you look at the names here. 
The Carlson contract is a disaster. The Dowdy contract is an anchor. Yossi is good right now, but that contract j- like just started. We're on year two. We're going into year two of that contract for Nashville, and he's 31. So I doubt it's going to stay that way. I mean, I love Roman Yossi. He's outstanding. P.K. Subban, uh, that, that contract is a lot, but there's only one year left on it, and it's been a lot for a couple years. Then you get to Makar. Now, what's the difference here? Eric Carlson, 31. Drew Doughty, 31. Roman Yossi, 31. P.K. Subban, 32. Kale McCarr, 22. And then under him, Alex Petrangelo, 8.831. And then, only then, do you get to anyone younger than Kale McCarr. That is Miro Heiskinen, who is 21. He will actually, he's 22 now, now that I'm looking at that updated. He just turned 22 about a week or so ago. So he's 22. And... Again, nothing not to love about the Kale McCarr contract. I wanted the full eight, but this still this way, you lock this out of your mind for six years. You have the number down. Frankly, it's lower than I expected, and that's great. If this was going to be the full eight years, you're probably looking at closer to $10 million, which just with our cap crunch, we're not able to do. I never wanted to do a shorter-term contract with Makar. I, I think six years would be the minimum that I'm happy with. Five years would have just been walking him straight to unrestricted free agency, which is not a very good idea. I mean, that's what the Leafs are doing with Austin Matthews, and that's going to cost them a bundle down the line. And at least with this, we're buying one UFA year, and I mean, we're going we're gonna to have to deal with this when he's 28. But again, that is six years from now. So much can happen in six years. Under this contract, you are getting six kicks at the can with Kale McCarr at $9 million. And admittedly, maybe for the first two or maybe three years of that contract, the salary cap is going nowhere. But I think once that cap starts to go up, uh, it's going to compensate a lot. And it's going to maybe get around 90 to $95 million. I mean, that is pure speculation and guessing on my part, but... Maybe it'll get up to around $90 million by then. At that point, that the like right now, Kel McCarr's cap percentage, he takes up 11% of the cap. Maybe by the time this expires, he'll take up around 10. And at tw- I mean, at 28, six years from now, that's a lot of time for him to, to fill up his trophy cases. He's already got a Calder in there, and he just fell short with the Norris. It's not, it's not hard to imagine that he's going to have a couple of those in his trophy case by the time this contract expires. Hopefully a Stanley Cup 2 or 3 in there by the time 6 years is up. I mean, there's nothing to not like here. There is there is no downside for the Avalanche. There's nothing to look at and be like, ah, well, they could have done better. If you if you want to nitpick so much, say, well, they could have gotten 8 years. Well, this, well, Kale wouldn't take that. This works best for both sides. He gets he gets his six year deal. The Avalanche they buy one year of UFA. I mean, ideally for Makar, you want a five year deal, and you want to just walk right to UFA. And even if you want to stay in Colorado, they're going to have to pay you a lot of money. This way, you're at least the Avalanche are at least buying one year. I mean, at nine million dollars is nothing to sneeze at. He's getting paid fifty four million dollars over the course of this contract, and. Sure, you would have liked to have given him the full eight years, but from the player's perspective and the agent's perspective, this is just 
solid business for them as well because now if Makar's career trajectory goes the way that we're expecting it to, the like I'm just saying, the end of that contract is going to be expensive. I mean, his next contract, it's, it's we could be, I mean, the way Makar's contract I think could go, we might be looking at like 15. Like, make no mistake, this is not a McKinnon contract. Nathan McKinnon is currently on by far the best contract in the NHL. This isn't that. This is Makar getting paid what he's worth on a six-year deal. $9 million is a lot of money. This is not Nathan McKinnon making second-line center money for six years. This this is a top-pair young defenseman getting every ounce of money that he is worth. And... I think it's I think it's a nice little weight off of Sackick's shoulder. I don't think this was necessarily a stressful negotiation. I mean, as we've seen, there is no ill feelings t- from the Avalanche or the Macars towards each other. This seemed to be just completely smooth from the start, working with each other, trying to find a solution that works best for everybody. This just this didn't seem to be a very stressful thing, but it was the the top priority. That, and Joe Sackick said as much, like, Kale McCarr is our top priority. We want to get this done. Now that that's done, I think the attention now, I mean, well, the attention is now going to turn to Gabe Landeskog and Philip Grubauer. And just to wrap up on McCarr real quick, again, nothing not to like. I thought we were going to probably get the full eight for maybe $9.5 to $10 million. I am perfectly happy with two years shorter term at a smaller cap hit that helps the team out even even just a little bit you say you save 500,000 against the cap here helps you out in other contract negotiations like and you save another 500,000 on Landis Scott like all of that adds up over time so again you have Makar you've seen what he can do you've seen that he is only going to get better <clears throat> only going to get better and Second year in the league, already a Calder, already a Norris runner-up, not a stretch of the imagination that he could have one hell of a resume by the time this contract is up. So nice to just get that done and now to move on to more of the stressful situation. Well, I guess we can stay on the Makar family in general. I mean, I'm going to talk I'm going to talk about the the Avalanche's draft class in just a second, but when it comes to their seventh round pick, we can cover that now. The Avalanche in the seventh round pick Taylor McCarr with their seventh round pick. And obviously that will make the McCarr family very happy. I mean, what a, it's the same day that McCarr signed his big extension. They draft Taylor McCarr. Both brothers are now on the same team. That alone, making Kale happy, and that alone is worth more than likely what a seventh round pick is ever going to bring you in the NHL. Even if Taylor McCarr is nothing and he doesn't even sniff the AHL, you all, you've all you already won on the pick. This pick absolutely rules. Kale's happy, his family's happy, and in the seventh round of the draft, what are the odds that you are even getting an NHL player? Like, is it about 5% if that, if you're lucky? This already makes your the face of your franchise, or at least one of them, extraordinarily happy. And if 
if Taylor McCarr turns into something as well, even if it's just a fringe NHL guy at best, that's still something, and that's still one hell of a story. So that's another win for the organization. We'll talk more about the draft in just a second. We're going to talk about the Landeskog and Grubauer negotiations first, then we'll get to that. But getting Taylor McCarr absolutely rules. I am a huge, huge fan of doing that. That was a no-brainer for them to do with their seventh-round pick. It's like, like I said, it's a seventh-round pick. Unless, unless you have a guy that you are like, this is a steal, everyone else has missed on him, and we passed on him several times as well. Like, seventh round is just like, you are, you're not just throwing darts at the board, you're throwing the dart behind your back, you're blindfolded, and your ears are covered. You've got no sense of where the target is. You are throwing with every sense blocked. And just, just the pick of Taylor McCarr alone makes that seventh round pick a win. But Moving on from all of the happy stuff from we got Makar, he's staying, we've got the other Makar to make him happy, all wins when it comes to the Makar family right now. Moving on to something a little more stressful, and that is the Gabe Landeskog negotiations. Now, there has not been any updates since the expansion draft until about right now. Sackick's priority was getting Makar re-signed and figuring that out, and now the attention turns back to getting a deal done with Gabe Landeskog. Now, obviously both teams, but well, both sides have had some time to cool off, and I think it's been reported that Landeskog is, was very emotional about it, and he was upset. Now both sides have had a chance to take a step back and reevaluate the situation again, and it gives... Landeskog some time to think and look over the situation and the sense that I get from insiders like Elliot Friedman is that there's not really any updates right now and he put in his 31 thoughts blog that he's not he's just making a prediction and he's not overly confident in it but he thinks that there is going to be a deal done between Landeskog and the Avalanche just his feeling and I agree you know, this this is coming down to the wire. By the time this episode is up, we're going to be two days away from free agency. You know, and it's... I, I said weeks ago, if it gets to this point, I'm going to be nervous. And I'm not going to lie. I, I am nervous, but I do have faith. Joe Sack... I mean, if this was a breakup, we would know about it by now. If this was a breakup and Landis Gog was undoubtedly going to market and he was leaving the team... We would know about it by now. We look at last year and the Blues with Alex Petrangelo. We knew, I, I don't remember exactly, but it was at least a week ahead of time that Petrangelo was going to market. He would not be re-signing with the Blues. You know, and we've gotten reports that Lance Gog is unhappy, but not that he's leaving. He wants to stay. That's why he was so displeased with the negotiations. He wants to stay. And he's upset that it's gotten to this point. If anything, that tells me that a deal is going to get done because he doesn't want to leave. You know, and if it doesn't seem like Seattle had any effect on the negotiations, I think I overreacted a lot to that just based on the emotions potentially of your captain leaving. But I think this allowed both sides to take a deep breath and cool off, come back to the negotiating table and Find a way to just get a damn deal done. And again, I I think that they will. 
I can't guarantee that it's going to be before free agency opens. We might be sitting here on July 28th and Landeskog is still not signed, but that doesn't mean that it's over. But you are running you are running the risk at that point. I mean, what I thought was going to happen with Seattle is guaranteed to happen once July 28th hits, and that's you are allowing teams to get into Landeskog's ear. You're allowing a team like St. Louis to be like, hey, hey, Landy, we... Avalanche aren't going to pay you $8 million. What, are they crazy? We'll, we'll give you eight and a half. You, you want the full seven, eight years? We, we'll give you the full seven years, man. That's what they'll do. And then, I mean, you never know. At that point, you're taking the negotiation out of your hands at that point. And if he wants money and term, then he'll go do that. But I, there is a, there's a willingness here on both sides to, to get a deal done. And... I think that this does get done at the end of the day. You know, I do think Saad is gone. I don't think there's any way that he's coming back. I mean, I've I've run some, like, cap-friendly projections looking at Landeskog signings. I mean, as, as recently as today, ever since McCarr got signed and Grubauer getting signed, there's there's really just no way to sign Brandon Saad unless that's your move for the offseason and you mo- you're moving out money to... To keep him. So with Saad, I think that conversation is over, unfortunately. But with Landeskog, if it if it's above seven and a half, I that's I don't know if I can do that. But honestly, I think I can push it to eight. Eight or above, I think I think is the line in the sand for me. I mean, I don't have I'm not Joe Sackick. I'm not the one with the hard negotiating stance. But I this. Just for experimental purposes, I signed Landis Gog on cap friendly just with some running projections and looking at the offseason. I signed Landis Gog at 7.5. And you, you sign Grubauer after that, you make some other moves, you fill out the team, and you are, you're over the cap at that point, and just barely. Saving that $500,000 matters a lot, especially for this upcoming offseason. So they're going to they're gonna have to... F- they're going to have to find a way to make a deal work on both sides. And I think that they will. And and, and if Landeskog's ask is still as high as it is with the between 9 and $10 million, it's just not going to happen. Especially with Makar getting 9 which is, I think, less than most people expected. I think that's going to drive the price down a little bit on Landeskog. Like he's, he's got to understand, like, like I was saying this with, with Drew on the last episode, he's got to understand that that money is not there anymore. If there, if we live in an alternate reality where COVID never happens and we're living in a completely normal world and the salary cap's gone up, I mean, from what I remember, the salary cap the year COVID hit was planned to go up a lot, was it not? Was it not supposed to be around like $85 million? And that, that keeps going up from going into last season and now this season, like the cap might be around $90 million. I mean, and maybe at that point, you can ask for an $8 million contract and get your money, whether it's from the avalanche. I mean, if there's no, if there's no COVID, I think Landis Gog is already signed and it's probably close to eight. And this isn't even a conversation right now, but that's not the world that we live in. And I've said it a million times on the show. The money's just not there. 
it's especially not there here. So 7.5, I think, is the maximum that I think would make this a, a decent contract. Even then, that might be a bit much. I just, it's what I've said from the beginning. A 7 times 7 is not a bad deal here. It's not. You sign Landis Gog, your captain, your guy. If this becomes a liability of a contract, there are ways out of it. You want another example of it? The freaking Coyotes got out from the Ekman Larson contract with six years left on it, and they got a first back because they attached Connor Garland to it. I mean, granted, they're trading with Jim Benning, who is not the brightest bulb in the box, but still, there are always going to be GMs that are desperate for what Gabe Landeskog brings to the table. If this contract in year five of seven becomes horrible and Landeskog is producing 20 points in an 82-game season, there is a way to get rid of it. There is. So, obviously, you don't want to box yourself into that corner, but when it comes to a guy like Landeskog, it's worth it, especially when you're in the middle of your Stanley Cup window and you're trying to win. And Landeskog is the guy that brings this team together. When Mikhail Makars in his press conference after his after he signs his deal and saying how important Landeskog is and how much he hopes that they both, both being Landeskog and Grubauer, get signed. If Landeskog walks, there is a there is a possibility that the 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 leadership glue on this team falls apart. You can't take that risk, and if you have to do a longer term deal and run the risk of that aging curve, which will almost certainly take an effect, I think that's something that you do. And again, if you get to a point where it becomes unbearable and it's weighing down your team, there is ways to get out from under it. But when it comes to Landeskog, a guy that has done so much for you and been every bit the leader that you could have hoped for, and stuck through it with this team when they were at their absolute lowest point, being the worst salary cap team ever until the Red Wings broke that record again. There's, It's tough for me to see how you wouldn't reward him. I mean, in back-to-back 54-game seasons for him, he produced over 20 goals. And in the, the last full season before that, he had 34 goals. Yes, maybe he's not going to be the same next season, but he's a solid bet for probably still around 25 goals a season. That's worth money. And in the playoffs, I know it didn't work that well against Vegas, but he set the tone against St. Louis, and that, that's gotten ignored a little bit. Game one of that series, he walks out there, he sees Rantanen, takes what he thinks to be a bad hit, and he goes out and makes Braden Shen answer for it by filling his face with fists. That's that's what you need in the playoffs too, and that's worth the money, and that's worth the term. So this might be the last conversation we ever have about Gabe Landeskog contract on this show because uh, Wednesday is going to be when free agency opens, and that's when I record again. And I mean, I'll probably wait till record probably later at night, like I would for like a night game, just to let all the signings trickle in. And pro- and maybe by that point, Landis Gog is signed. And even if he's not, that's still a conversation worth having. But if he gets signed between now and next episode, this will be the last time we have to talk about this. And I hope that's the case, because 
admittedly, I'm a little sick of talking about it because, like I've said a million times, this should have been done already, and I really can't believe that we're here right now. I mean, I've, I've gotten used to being here at this point with Landeskog and him not being signed, but that doesn't mean I'm happy about being here at this point two days away from free agency, and the guy still isn't freaking signed, man. Just sign him. Do your job. And I I love Joe Sackick, and I believe in him, and I believe there's a plan in place, and I believe that they are going to get a deal done because Sackick has not let me down in the past. But moving on from Landeskog a little bit, onto the other big UFA contract, really the big three of the, the offseason, Makar, Landeskog, and Philip Grubauer. Now, I said about Philip Grubauer in the episode dedicated to him that I don't know what the hell's going to happen with this. Now, it seems like there's a little bit of a clearer picture painted with some of the the insider reporting, specifically from Elliot Friedman, saying that the last big UFA contract for a goalie that was signed was obviously Jordan Bennington getting the 6 times 6 deal in the middle of this last season. For better or worse, I laughed at that contract a little bit. The guys on uh, what's now known as the Toasted St. Louis podcast laughed at that contract a little bit. And now Grubauer's ass could reportedly be in that range while not being that exactly. So we kind of get what it's going to be. Is it going to be the 6 times 6 I mean, when I first had that episode about Grubauer... I felt a little better about the goalie market than I do right now. If you let Grubauer walk, I don't think there's a ton of replacements out there. And the replacements that would be out there, you're going to get outbid on. Because there are there are teams with even, an even more desperate goaltending situation than you. Namely, the Carolina Hurricanes, who made the, the boneheaded move to trade Alex Nendelkovich to Detroit for a third-round pick and the UFA rights to Jonathan Bernier, and now they have no goalies under contract because they're just not willing to pay anybody. I mean, I don't get that trade. I, I assume they've got some kind of plan up their sleeve, but just getting back on track with Grubauer a bit, I, I've always been a Philip Grubauer defender in the playoffs. I think he can get it done. I think he's shown evidence that he can get it done, and you look at his his playoff record, his first year with the Avalanche, our run that ended against the Sharks, he was a 9.25, in the bubble before getting hurt, he was a 9.22, and right up until those final three games of the Vegas series, Grubauer was damn near unbeatable, and you know, he fell apart a little bit towards the end, and it's one of the many reasons that they did not win the series against Vegas. The, the, the game the game six against Vegas for Grubauer was a disaster. The first goal that he let in, I've said this since it happened, sunk the season. There was no chance we were winning that game after that. That sunk the entire season. After we get the early goal, and immediately that terrible trash goal ends up in our own net. So... But I do think Grubauer can get it done. I think you can win with Grubauer in net. I mean, the Blues won with Jordan Bennington in net. We can win with Philip Grubauer. He's shown nothing but solid performances ever since coming to Colorado, even going back to his time in Washington. I think he, I think he can get it done. Now, as for what I'd be comfortable with, again... I'm not comfortable giving long-term to any goalie that is not named Andre Vasilevsky. 
and that's that's the same case with Grubauer. I mean, goaltending. Goal let's say let's say like it is. It's voodoo. Goaltending is bullshit. It changes year to year. You never know what you're getting pretty much on a game-by-game basis from your goaltenders because it's it's just so random. Hockey's such a random sport that you just never know. I mean, the compar- the, the comparison that justifies my fear of goaltending contracts is Martin Jones. Martin Jones was a perfectly fine goalie, a, ve- a very good one at that for the San Jose Sharks. He, w- he took them to the Stanley Cup final. He was a solid goaltender the year after that from what I remember. And, yeah, just pull him up real quick. He gets traded to the Sharks in 2015, takes him to the Stanley Cup Final with a 9.23. They get bounced by the Oilers the next year. He's still he's still a 9.35. He's a 9.15 in the regular season in 2017-18, a 9.28 in their run that ended against the Golden Knights. He's a 9.28 in that run, and then he sinks like a rock. The next season, he's an 8.96 in 62 games. Sharks make the playoffs in spite of him. He's an 8.98. Somehow the Sharks made it to the Western Conference Final that year. The next season, he's an 8.96 again. And the following season, he's an 8.96 again. One of the big reasons that San Jose fell off the face of the earth. He signs his contract on July 1st, 2017. It does not kick in until the very next season. I mean, he signs that contract while after... They lost to Edmonton. They're a year removed from the Stanley Cup final. And the year after he signed the extension, but before he kicked in, he was solid again. And then the second that contract kicked in, he sunk like a rock. Goaltending does not make any sense. And I, it might, it might be irrational, but I still have that same fear about Grubauer. But to be fair, I have that same fear about just about every single goalie in the league, man. Like, it's, it's all random. But with goaltending, and especially this case with Grubauer, I see it as the devil you know versus the devil you don't. If Grubauer walks, what are you going to replace him with? And I, I have still yet to see a reasonable answer. I still don't know what that could look like if Grubauer walks. And so based on the conversations that I have seen, and apparently Sakic's bringing him up in conversations as an important contract to them to get that gets re-signed. Like Landis Gog, I think this is one that gets done. And the most positive sign to me was that Grubauer wants to stay in Colorado and apparently is willing to be around a Bennington contract or maybe take less than that. I think that's good news that he comes back. And I like that. I like Grubauer a lot. He's a great goalie. I think we can win with him, and I, I feel positive that he is going to come back. So I, back in the early episode from a, a little over a month ago, I did not know what to make of that situation with Grubauer and what they were going to do. Now that there's been about a month and a half, I and we're two days away from free agency, I think he does resign. And if he doesn't, I am... I am interested as hell to see what Joe Sackick has up his sleeve to replace him. Because they're not just going to let him walk without a plan. If they're going to let him walk, it's because they've got something up their sleeve, if nothing else. But I just don't know what that could be. So I think Grubauer comes back. Signs point to it being positive that he comes back. And we'll see what happens from there.
But moving on from free agency talk for the Avalanche, I think hopefully the last bit of internal free agent speculation that we'll have with free agency starting on Wednesday. But there is another big event that happened a few days prior that I have pretty much neglected to talk about at all. Now that's in the books. The Avalanche have completed the draft. The NHL's entry draft has come and gone with plenty of drama and lots of trades. And the Avalanche, they had four picks in the draft, a first, a second, a third, and a seventh round pick. And seems like they did all right with some of these picks. They only had four of them. Corey Pronman gave them overall a C with their draft class basically based on they had limited picks but they did all right with their picks their first round pick is oscar olison from sweden he according to Corey promen bounced around between multiple pro levels sweden's junior levels and he sees him as a middle six nhl winger but he's not overly physical, and he, st- he still has a lot to work on. But to me, getting a guy like that in an average to below average draft class where you had the 28th overall pick, I think that's, I think that's a fine bit of work. And this is not a guy that we're going to see next year or the year after that or the year after that, and maybe not even the year after that. Like this is this is a guy that might not be on the team to four to five years, maybe even down the line, just because that's just how development in the NHL works. And there's really no rush to bring him in. And to I mean to find a guy that could help out in your middle six, three to four years down the line at 28th overall in in any draft is a solid hit, especially in one that was as mediocre as this one is a, is a solid pick for them. Their second round pick. Sean, I didn't catch the pronunciation. I'm just going to say it how it's spelled. Barons, Sean Barons. And he's a, a smaller defenseman that brought out the size police that have been all over the Avalanche and Sam Gerrard as of late. But he's got some solid upside to his game if he can work on his skating. Again, according to Corey Promen. Again, I'm not a scout. I'm not going to pretend that I'm a scout or that I know a single thing about these players this is just me kind of regurgitating information from people that are far smarter than I am when it comes to stuff like this so according to Corey Pronman Barons is a skilled puck moving defenseman was a big part of the U.S. development program and he's 5'10 which to the size police is bad that he's not two inches taller and six feet otherwise no one would care and he doesn't have great skating for a player his size, but he does make some tough plays, and he's not afraid to be physical. So he projects Barron to be a third-pair NHL defenseman with enough skill to be on a power play. In my humble opinion, though, not knowing anything really about this player, but just seeing the, the general reaction to him, I think this is a guy that's going to be trade bait in a few years time maybe even as soon as the trade deadline or next offseason with just how stacked the avalanche defense is and how young it is and just how many pieces that they have even if Barron is great I think that's just the kind of value that the avalanche package in a trade somewhere down the line in order to improve their team now to go on and win a cup I mean obviously you look at their current defense core of Gerard 
and Taze. I mean, I just completely skipped over McCarr because we just talked about him. But McCarr, Gerard, Taze, you've got Byram at 20, and Connor Timmons as well, who's going to be making another jump this year. You've also got Justin Barron, who's pretty much their top prospect that's not named Alex Newhook right now. I just, there's there's a tough road to the NHL for Barron's with the Avalanche's system, and if he's not projected very high but has a lot of skill, that's the kind of player that I can see packaged in a deal down the line to to bring in some help, maybe at the trade deadline or a trade deadline or an offseason. But I have no problem with the pick. I, According to everything I've seen about him and the film that I've watched on him, seems like a real solid player, just not very quick. And if he can figure that out, he'll. I think he'll definitely be an NHLer. Somewhere down the line as well. Their next up, their third round pick is Andre Bialski, who's an overager, 20 years old. He impressed in the, the U.S. Hockey League, and he's about 6'3". He's a center, and he projects as a quality NHL-level skater. It's just uh, Promen's main question about him is how much of that is real skill, or is it a mirage of a 20-year-old playing against much younger opponents? Again, maybe he could be something down the line, but it seems like a, a solid bet for the Avalanche that maybe he can turn into something at some point down the line, but I don't really have a whole bunch to say about him. Then their seventh round pick, we already talked about Taylor McCarr. He's a left winger. We picked him at 220th overall, one of the final picks of the draft. Doesn't matter to me if this guy turns out to be anything at all. You've already won the pick. Kale's happy. The whole family's happy. If Taylor turns into anything, anything at all down the line, even even if he's just an all right player in the AHL, you are drowning in happiness. That's It's already a win. You've already gotten more value out of that seventh round pick than you've probably gotten out of 99% of your seventh round picks in franchise history. That's an absolute win. But that's about all I've got on the Avalanche's draft class. Seems like a solid haul, especially considering the Avalanche's position of only really having four picks in the draft. I thought they were going to trade back on the first. They didn't. They kept it. They drafted Olison. Solid guy. We're not going to see any of these guys for a long while. I think the soonest we see any of these guys is if they're involved in any sort of trade somewhere down the line. But... You can kind of just package this away, shove the guys into the prospect pool for now, and maybe hear about them once or twice for the rest of the season when we talk about the Avalanche's prospect pool again. But perfectly fine class, but that th- I think the draft definitely got uh, a little overshadowed by all of the moves that were made in the, the 48 hours leading up to it following the end of the roster freeze. So I wanted to run through... A little bit of a lightning round with all of the big trades that happened since the the trade freeze lifted and just my quick thoughts on some of them starting with the Arizona Coyotes acquiring Shane Gostas Bear a second and a seventh from the Flyers in exchange for absolutely nothing this is the Coyotes adding draft picks and tanking for Shane Wright we will continue this conversation with the Flyers when we get to it being necessary. This next one I talked about briefly, Alex Nendelkovich getting traded to the Detroit Red Wings. 
in exchange for a 2021 third round pick and Jonathan Bernier. This is an absolutely horrific trade from the Carolina Hurricanes perspective because they simply do not want to pay their Calder-nominated goalie $3 million because Nendelkovic immediately signed a two-year $3 million contract with the Detroit Red Wings. I don't know why the Hurricanes are so insistent on not paying their goddamn players. It's really frustrating to see because they're, they're literally right there and can be really good. But they don't, they just, they get these numbers in their head. They weren't going to pay him anything more than 1.5. And I just, I don't see, I just don't see why. Because they they had the solution to their goaltending problem fall into their actual lap with Nendelkovic last season. And they traded it for essentially nothing. I don't understand that one at all. The Seattle Kraken make their first trade in NHL history. They trade Tyler Pitlick to the Calgary Flames in exchange for a 2022 fourth-round pick. All of the leverage that the Seattle Kraken had, all of the talks of all the the extra protection slots and all the trades they were going to make and it being crazy expansion year, all they did was go through their expansion draft and trade Tyler Pitlick for a fourth-round pick. That's all they got out of all of their leverage. So I am not a fan of the Kraken's draft at all. But the first real... Big, big trade. Rasmus Ristolainen goes to the Philadelphia Flyers for Robert Haig, the 14th overall pick in the first round of this draft, and a 2023 second round pick. I just gotta say, Philadelphia, what the hell are you doing? That is a horrible trade. Okay, I'll be brief on this one. Rasmus Ristolainen has played in Buffalo his entire career, and the argument for him is that is is exactly that. He's played in Buffalo his entire career. He's never had a real chance to shine. The counter-argument to that is Buffalo has been Buffalo for so long, mainly because they play Rasmus Ristolainen on their top pair, and he is analytically one of the worst players in the NHL. Now, in a vacuum, you completely ignore what the Flyers gave up for Ristolainen. Taking a gamble on Ristolainen on a one-year contract that, once he's out of Buffalo, can be better, is a solid idea. And I get where they're coming from with that. To give up the 14th overall pick and another second-round pick down the line is absolutely mind-boggling. I, that is a horrible return and a, just a horrible evaluation of talent by the Flyers, and they got completely hosed by the Sabres. The Sabres win this trade in an absolute walk. And speaking of robberies, the St. Louis Blues acquire Pavel Buchnevich from the New York Rangers in exchange for Sammy Blay and a 2022 second-round pick. New York, I don't understand why you are ruining your rebuild. I don't get it. Why are you trading Pavel Buchnevich for nothing? Sammy Blay is a, a bottom-line tough guy that they're going to use to try to go after Tom Wilson on opening night for absolutely no reason at all. I guess that's another thing I should have brought. I just thought of that now. Schedules got released, so I can talk about that a little bit after this. But before I get too off track with that, they trade for Sammy Blay in a second-round pick, and they lose one of their better players for, for pennies on the dollar. He's going to be a stud in St. Louis. Pavel Buchnevich is a very, very good player, and he's going to plug right into their top six. And Sammy Blay is a bottom six guy, 
and because they're so obsessed with beefing up now because they missed the playoffs in a stacked East division and they like all the Tom Wilson altercation I guess they're still sore about that for some reason and they got beat by the Islanders a few times and James Dolan had to step in and fire everybody and tell Chris Drury to make all these terrible moves I don't get what the Rangers are doing this trade chief among them that sucks and here we have a, a real blockbuster deal. The Vancouver Canucks acquire Oliver ekman Larson and Connor Garland in exchange for Anton Roussel, Jay Beagle, Louis Erickson, the ninth overall pick, a 2022 second, and a 2023 seventh round pick. What this does for Vancouver is that this season, it clears the Roussel, Beagle, and Erickson contract off of the books and clears up about $4 million for the Canucks after taking into account ekman Larson's contract. However, Oliver ekman Larson is signed to one of the worst contracts in the NHL. He is signed until 2027 and is an $8.25 million cap hit. Now, Arizona retained 12% of that contract, which comes out to just short of a million dollars, which they're perfectly fine retaining on. Roussel, Beagle, and Erickson have one year left on their contracts. Let me make sure that's right. Roussel, Beagle, Erickson. Yeah, they have. They all have one year left on their contracts at a combined $12 million. Connor Garland is a great player, and he's going to work out great in Vancouver. They're, they just traded problems that they've had for a long time, and Roussel, Beagle, and Erickson, but they only had one year left on those deals. And now you just traded for Ekman Larson, whose problematic contract does not expire until 2027. And they gave up the the ninth overall pick, Arizona Drafts, Dylan Gunther with it. I mean, may, maybe you can break this trade in, into sections. I, I don't know. Maybe you just look at it as Garland for the ninth overall pick and Roussel, Beagle, Erickson second and a set like even then like Ekman Larson's contract is bad man it's a it's a bad bad terrible contract and he took a big step back the last two seasons maybe a change of scenery helps him it never hurts last season was a crazy year but that's it's a risky move from the Vancouver Canucks to take on that contract to say the least and Arizona I mean, I look at it like this. Arizona got out from ekman Larson. They moved on from him. They were trying to trade him since last season. The only thing they're really losing here is Connor Garland. Connor Garland is 25. The Coyotes are tearing it down again. And by the time they're really ready to be competitive, Garland is probably going to be getting out of his prime. He might be closer to 30 at that point. He's going to age out of what they're trying to do anyway. So they're not really going to miss him all that much. What they're getting is... Three bad contracts, but they're only one year. They got the ninth overall pick, a second round pick next year, and a seventh round pick down the line. They're not lo- they're not losing anything that they're going to miss all that much here. Apparently, they didn't even want to sign Garland at all, and he was definitely going to be traded regardless because he's part of the old regime in Arizona. So this is an immense win for the Coyotes. Not that it can't turn out positive for the Canucks, but it's that's uh, it could be a rough one. Then the next blockbuster deal, which I touched on earlier, 
the Chicago Blackhawks acquire Seth Jones from the Columbus Blue Jackets. And if you want to know why I was so opposed to the the Avalanche getting Seth Jones, let me explain it to you in what they gave up to get him. Adam Boquist, the 12th overall pick, a second round pick, which was 44th overall, and next year's first round pick. And in return, the Blackhawks get Seth Jones, the 32nd overall pick, so they traded down 20 spots and a 2022 sixth round pick. There is an argument to be made that Adam Boquist is one of the best defensive prospects in the league, and Seth Jones, and look, my stance on Seth Jones is this. Analytically, Seth Jones is a disaster. There's also a certain section that believes that Seth Jones is a top 10 defenseman in the league, which is dead wrong. They're both, I think they're both wrong, especially the top 10 people. They're dead wrong. I think Seth Jones is a fringe top pair defenseman. I think he's solid, but has some glaring holes in his game, and I did not want the Avalanche to get him. And the most egregious thing the Blackhawks did with this deal is turn around and sign Seth Jones to an eight-year contract with a full no-movement clause worth $9.5 million a year. They finally traded the Keith contract. They've got Brent Seabrook on LTIR, and they just added another anchor around their necks. I don't don't understand this. This is a... terrible move for the Blackhawks. Even if Seth Jones is good, he is not worth 9.5. You're paying him to be the third best defenseman in the league just based on cap hit alone. And I'm sorry to disappoint you, but he's not that. Adam Boquist, there there are metrics that support the notion that Adam Boquist is better than Seth Jones right now. And I, man, that's a tough package. And the Blue Jackets, they make out like bandits here. They get Boquist, obviously, they draft Cole Sillinger at 12th overall, who a lot of people were very high on. They get a second round pick, which the next trade we can talk about, they flip that second round pick to the Carolina Hurricanes in exchange for Jake Bean. So you can look at this like the Blue Jackets get Adam Boquist, Cole Sillinger, Jake Bean, and next year's first round pick from the Blackhawks in exchange for Seth Jones, which is a total haul and an absolute larceny of a trade for them the it's a big big win for them the next move the blue jackets made i don't quite understand but it's not egregious but it's a pretty it's a pretty it's a pretty big trade that i don't think anyone saw coming the blue jackets acquired jacob voracek from the philadelphia flyers in exchange for cam atkinson i always saw cam atkinson as the face of the blue jackets the blue jackets have never done anything wrong in his eyes and as he's leaving it's just a, a scalding review. I don't have the exact quotes in front of him, in front of me, but it wasn't positive. And Atkinson is cheaper. He's 32 years old. Voracek is a year younger, but he also makes uh, about two million three hundred seventy-five thousand more. And when do these contracts expire? I haven't really looked at this trade all that closely until now. Voracek has two years left. Atkinson has three years left. I don't know. This is a very weird trade to to analyze here because it doesn't really advance what the Blue Jackets are trying to do, which is rebuild. 
and maybe Voracek can be good. I'm sorry, Voracek has three years left on his deal. Atkinson has four. And he makes a lot of money, and they just they just kind of gave up Atkinson to get him. And I would have, I don't know, maybe they would have been better off getting some assets here in return, but this is just a very weird one to analyze. I don't think I want to spend a ton of time on this one because I'm not going to pretend I can wrap my brain around it because I can't. This is a this is a weird one for for both teams really. I think the Flyers have an edge here. I think Atkinson with a fresh change of scenery is going to be really good because the Flyers are still trying to compete and the Blue Jackets are very blatantly tearing it down. And I don't know how well that's going to go over with Voracek, but I guess we'll see. And this last one kind of kind of broke my heart a little bit, uh, and it's also confusing. The Florida Panthers acquire Sam Reinhart from the Buffalo Sabers in exchange for a 2022 first round pick and goaltending prospect. Devon Levi. If you want to read the article that I wrote about this trade, you can find it on fansided.com. I wrote a little 700-word article looking at this trade, and to to really just look at this one briefly, uh, this is not a big enough return for the Sabres for Sam Reinhart. And what I said basically in the article is that if things pan out for the Panthers the way they've been shaping up, that pick is going to probably be in the later stages of the first round. And Levi is a seventh-round pick from last year who had a great season in the CCHL and helped lead Canada to the silver medal at the World Juniors. And there's a chance he could turn into something, but there's also a chance that both those assets could be nothing. Late first-round picks are a gamble, and the Panthers are looking to be really good now. So, I mean, if if this was all it took to acquire Sam friggin' Reinhardt, ah, that's... I really, I really wanted the Avalanche to get Sam Reinhardt, whether or not they were keeping Landeskog, especially if they lose Landeskog. I really wanted Sam Reinhardt. He's really good. That's that's the kind of player who was good in Buffalo and is going to be even better once he's freed from Buffalo. Florida is looking like they're going to be an absolute force in the Atlantic next season. Like that that playoff. That playoff series win drought might be coming to an end pretty soon for them. They they look good, and they've barely even started with free agency. They're definitely not done. They've they look like they're going to be a real solid team, and I don't understand how the Sabers got more in return for Rasmus Ristolainen than they did for Sam Reinhart. And like was was Florida the only team in on Reinhart? How was this? price that low a first and a, a goaltending prospect who might be nothing anyway i i don't i don't get that one i mean reinhardt needs a new contract I, but like that does, that's never stopped anybody i don't see this one but that that's all the trades or at least all the big trades that have happened since the roster freeze was lifted after the expansion draft uh some signings Taylor Hall signs with the Bruins, obviously Kale McCarr. Uh, any big ones I need to be overly concerned about here that we haven't already talked about? Barkley Goodrow is signing a six-year contract with the Rangers. I talked about my thoughts on them. Uh, we re-signed Kiefer Sherwood, one-year deal, league men. And, oh, schedules. That's what I was going to talk about. I was trying to remember what I said I was just going to talk about. The schedules are announced for the league and the Avalanche will be opening their season against the Chicago Blackhawks on my birthday, October 13th. That is a Wednesday. The times are not announced yet. Uh, 
but oh man, just I'm looking at the schedule on the NHL app. Oh, it's just it's so beautiful to look at a goddamn normal schedule. Look, there's East teams: Washington, Florida, Tampa, uh, Chicago. We're opening against the Blackhawks. We haven't seen them in forever. Oh, look at the, there's normal teams: the Blue Jackets, Vancouver. We're going back to Canada. Oh, it's just such a beautiful sight to see. Their first road games in Washington. I'll probably be able to go see it. That's I love that. It's, it's so pleasing to me to just see a normal schedule. The fact that they're opening on my birthday is a, just a real treat. I can't wait to see that. This season, I do want to get out to Colorado and go see a game or two. When do they, they play the Caps at the end of the season again? I'd want to make a trip out there. For that as well, yada yada, Washington is their third last home game of the season, and they're playing in Washington for their first road game of the season, so this, their season's pretty sandwiched in between those. But yeah, the first month of the season, Chicago, I mean, look, uh, it's just Chicago, and then what is this, two days off, and you play the Blues, two days off, you play Washington, and then you got your, your three games in six days, two days off, Vegas, like... Last season was shorter in games only. That season dragged on forever. Like, I could only, I've said it a million times, I could only take so many games against the Sharks and the Coyotes before I lost my mind. And especially playing them in back-to-back was painful. Seeing us, we're opening at home against Chicago, then we're playing the Blues at home, then we hit the road to go play the Capitals, and the Panthers, and the Lightning, and then we host Vegas. A fun, that should be a very fun game. Then we hit the road for St. Louis. We have Minnesota at home. Like, But like even just these meaningless games, a home game against Columbus, who cares? I'm excited to see that again because we haven't seen them in forever. And our first game against Seattle is going to be November 19th on the road against them. And when do we see them again? First home game against Seattle will be January 10th. And where is the last one? It's the April 20th on the road in Seattle. Always fun to see the expansion teams again for the first time. I don't know why I don't know why I get so attached to schedule releases. It's just the I love it so much, especially seeing that normal schedule again for the first time. Like we're we're going to see the lightning. We're going to see the, 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 the back-to-back defending chance. We're going to play Edmonton again. We're going to play, like, we're, we're going to play boring. We're going to play the Devils again. I don't care if those games are going to be boring. At least we only play them twice. And those games, like, the I'll be able to take something from them. That's not okay. We're better than the Coyotes. Okay, we're better than the Kings. Like, we'll be able to get something out of these games, man. I'm just, I'm so excited for next season. You have no idea. I'm all, I'm excited for free agency and stuff to start to wind down and just to to take a quick breather and focus again on next season. Still got a long way to go this offseason, but just seeing the schedule for next year just made things seem normal again. And I can't wait. Opening the season on my 21st birthday is going to be a lot of fun, and I, I can't wait for October 13th gonna be a lot of fun still got about 80 days or so to wait but that is much shorter than it's been in the past between seasons so that's gonna do it for this edition of the tell it abs it is podcast thank you so much for tuning in when we talk again we'll have 
least the first few hours of free agency in the books. Hopefully a Landis Goggin Grubauer deal to talk about and probably some other moves as well. I mean, free agency you know, tr- it trickles in a lot slower now just because they took away the the negotiating period. But there's still going to be plenty of stuff to talk about on the next episode. So hope to see you guys then. Thank you so much for tuning in. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Follow me on Twitter at GYoungsNHL and follow the show at Tell It Abs It Is. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next time. Enjoy your week.